Hello, this is Patrick Daly and welcome to Interlinks. Interlinks is a programme about globalisation and the effects it has had on Ireland and other countries around the world over the last 50 years or so. In each programme, we interview a person from another country or with strong connections to another country to get their unique perspective on globalisation as it has affected them, the country they live in and its relationship to the wider world. There's a little bit of history, a dash of economics, a sprinkling of business and an overlay of personal experience both from me and from my interviewees from around the world. In recent programmes, we've travelled back and forth across the Atlantic from Europe to the Americas several times, talking to consultants, academics, diplomats and business people. Today we will be talking to Stephen Hunt, an Englishman who has been living and working in Germany for many years. He runs a consultancy business based in Dusseldorf and has worked in 28 countries with 58 nationalities. Stephen previously lived in Madrid and Spain for four years in the mid-90s and has been in Germany since 2001, where he lives with his wife, who is half German and half Iraqi, and their 10-year-old daughter. Stephen's consultancy work involves helping senior managers and their teams deal with the human dynamics of organisational change and helping them to get their plans implemented successfully. And he will be telling us much more about that presently. I'm delighted to have Stephen join us on the line to talk about his experiences and reflections on doing business internationally and to get his perspective on uh, the future of this globalised world. Welcome, Stephen, and thank you very much for being here with us today. Thank you, Patrick. It's a pleasure. Uh, I was telling the listeners uh, just before you came on that you are an Englishman, but that you live in Germany. You live in Dusseldorf. So could you situate Dusseldorf for us on the map? Where, where is it? How big is it? Uh, what's it like in terms of climate, environment and economic activities? Yeah. So um, if you come east from Dublin um, and... You know, you get to Amsterdam, mm-hmm. more or less east of that, you get to Dusseldorf. Dusseldorf is part of the Rhine-Ruhr area. So that's Cologne, Dusseldorf and the Ruhr uh, area. That was the old industrial heartland. I think a lot of the people will know it as where the steel and the coal mines were and Thyssenkrupp and places like that. And in that area, you've got about 12 million people. Okay. So it's quite a big area for industries, quite a lot of big companies. And what's it um, like as a, as a place now to live, to work and to play, if you like? It, it's very good. I mean, there are worse places to live in the world. <laughs> um, I think that the main benefits is there's there's a lot of connection. Obviously, there's, there's a lot of good connections to different places. I think the second the second thing is there's a lot of new industries coming in because they had to move out of the old heavy industries. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's and it's quite an international place. You know, there's a lot of people come into this area to work, both historically and even now. Yeah. And those traditional industries, which were quite polluting industries, I, I believe the place has been um, re- totally reformed in terms of its um, uh, environmental amenities and um, its clean air and so on. Is that so? <laughs> it depends who you ask. You're, you're right. Uh, <laughs> but if you ask people from the, the south of Germany, from Bayern, who, who love their – that's that classic classic German image of, you know, the guy on the mountain with the lederhosen and everything. That's all the south of Germany. Yeah. Um, a, a lot of them will still joke that it's still grey and uh, polluted. It's not. It's very clean and it's very green uh, <laughs> up here. So, yeah, it's a nice place to live. And how long have you have you been there living? And how did, how did that come about? How did you come to settle and build a life yeah. in Germany as an Englishman? 
uh, amore, as the Italians say. <laughs> amore. Um, so I met I met my my wife um, when I was working in England. She was over there for work, and um, she said, "Oh, she comes from a place called Herna, is the center of the world. I'd never <laughs> heard of this place." <laughs> and it was we had a relationship. Um, distant relationship in, in sense of uh, geographical distance mm-hmm. and that went on for about a year and then it was obvious that either she would come to the UK or I would come to Germany. I had a terrible job in the UK so it was quite an easy decision for us. Okay. I came over here. And that was around 2001? Uh, 2001, yeah. yeah. So that's what, so that's, 18 years ago, yeah? It is, yeah, quite yeah. You while, get less for you get less for murder in some countries. <laughs> inside and out in that time. And pr- prior to that, you had been living in Spain in the in the mid nineties. Uh, Tell me a little bit about that. Yeah. So um, when I started work, or when I came out of university, I I knew quite a bit about different parts of the world. But one area I didn't know a lot about was um, Spain. And, and you could extend that and say Latin America. Mm-hmm. And uh, I decided to go to Madrid. The plan was to go for a year or two, mm-hmm. um, get a sense of the place and then come back to the UK. Uh, I liked it so much, the people and the weather and the food that I ended up staying for four years <laughs> in Madrid. And um, yeah, I, I know you're you know all about all things Spanish, so you can appreciate that as well. Yeah, yeah. S- similar thing. I went and the same thing. Uh, thought I'd be there yeah. maybe for a year and ended up being there for 10 years. So yeah, Spain <laughs> Spain, <laughs> Spain has, that, has that effect on people sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. And is it is it a misconception? You know, we have this uh, uh, conception of the Germans in, in work and in business that it, they attach a lot of importance to formal qualifications and credentials, probably more so than we would in the English-speaking world. So is, is, is that a reality and has that impacted you in any way in terms of um, work and business? Yes, I think, I think that's fair enough. That's a good point. You, you have to be able to prove that you have an expertise in something. So it's a little bit of a catch-22 because you come and you need to have experience working um, say with German companies to get work with German companies, but you don't have it. So how do you get it? You mm-hmm. know, the, the key is the key is to work with somebody else first. Um, but you certainly need that experience. One of my colleagues used to say, you know, um, if, if you live in, if, if you live in the Ireland or the, or the UK, you know, you phone to get a plumber, you might get somebody who and no disrespect to art students, but somebody who studied art or mm-hmm. somebody who studied history or somebody who studied finance, you know, nothing to do with plumbing. You phone a plumber in Germany, you will get a plumber probably with a who's done an apprenticeship, a full apprenticeship, got his what they call Meister qualification. So um, he's he's passed his apprenticeship and got qualified, you know, and takes great pride many a time that they will have workmen round or well, sorry, when they do come round. Mm-hmm. You know, they will go into great detail about how the fridge is working or not working or what's wrong with the tap under the sink, <laughs> you know, none of which interests me. But I, it, it, yeah. it's wonderful that they yeah. take that pride in their work and, and respected for it as, as well, you know. So the, the the quality of workmanship then and that type of thing would tend to be higher than we would be accustomed to. Is that the case? It, yes. Yeah. A, a general, generalizing very much. Yes, mm. I, I would say so. Yeah. 
And you mentioned about the language earlier, um, and I'm interested in how you manage because you know I, I know I've 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 tried to tackle German, and the grammar is tough as hell, uh, and a lot of the vocabulary is totally unrecognisable to an English speaker. So, how did you get on top of that? Did you go to formal classes, and how long did it take? And you know, what level of fluency have you got to, and so on? <laughs> well, I'm laughing because the truth is I, 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 don't, I haven't really got on top of it. Um, I still make mistakes. It's notoriously difficult. Um, but, you know, the, what I call the international spile is always, always worthwhile. You just yeah. um, more or less, you know, get it out what you want to say, smile at the person <laughs> and, and they're normally quite understanding. It, it is difficult. Um, there are very few people who truly master it. Yeah, it's difficult um, to perfect. It's about communication, really. Yeah, yeah. Okay, and then so taking taking a wider a wider view, um, you know, the fact that you are uh, an Englishman living in in Germany, and you've previously lived in Spain, and you have worked with more than twenty countries and fifty nationalities. All of that, if you like, is a manifestation of globalization. You know, this process that's been going on for. 30, 40 years, at least in the, in, the, in, the, in the present phase. And there's maybe good sides to that and bad sides to that. What's your take on globalisation? Is it good or bad in the round? What's your, what's your own view on it? Well, I, I, yeah, that's a good question. I think it, it's a very complex issue. Mm -hmm. I think that's the, the first thing. For many years, we've, we've talked about globalisation as only being a good thing. And that certainly there are people who've benefited. I'm, I'm one of the people who's benefited from it personally. At the same time, you know, with recent political events, Trump, Brexit, um, the yellow vests in France, I, I think you do have to pay attention to people who are being put into that bracket of being left behind, mm -hmm. um, who are not able to, to do the things that they want to do. You know, go to work, have a, have a job, do their 40 hours, do their shifts, come home, um, be with their family, you know, and, and, and live the lifestyle that they want to live. And uh, certainly where I come from in the UK, which is uh, Yorkshire, there are areas of Yorkshire, my, my hometown, where um, certainly people fit into that category, people I know, friends. And, you know, we, we have to think about the, um, everybody as well, not just the people who fly off here, there and everywhere. Mm -hmm. And yeah, you, you touched on Brexit there. So we've seen this big mm -hmm. pushback in terms of increased nativism, rising nationalism, yeah. trade protection yeah. and so on. And Brexit might be an example of that. So for, for you as a, as, a, as a British person living in another EU country, how has Brexit affected you? And have you had to take some mitigating actions to avoid potential risks in the future? Um, well, the mitigating action is that I um, I phoned a friend who actually works for the civil service in London, and I said, you know, what's the real plan? This was September 2016, and he said, there isn't a plan. <laughs> you better look after yourself. <laughs> yeah. uh, I suggest you get German nationality. So that's what I did. Okay. Um, so, and you were able to do that uh, through marriage to a German national? Is that so? And resident uh, or residence? You can hold dual nationality um, if you. 
as long as the UK is still in the EU, you can hold dual, dual nationality. Okay. And don't ask me about the ins and outs of the legal side of that. But that's the that's the route in, yeah. uh, which is, I think, why a lot of people in the UK are looking up, you know, do I have any Irish ancestry or French <laughs> ancestry yeah. and all the rest of it, you know. Yeah. Um, in terms of what do I think? Well, I'm, I'm I'll straight out. I, I'm pro EU mm-hmm. um, and I make no bones about it. Um, <laughs> Does that get you in trouble when you go home and meet the family and the friends? <laughs> My family, not, but extended friends and uh, people that you might meet in the street down the pub. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, I think it's a load of nonsense. I don't think it was a vote uh, um, against... Uh, the European Union. I think mm-hmm. the average person in the street, even the well-educated person, most of them don't actually know what the European Union is. They don't even know what the main institutions are. Mm-hmm. Um, so you can't ask people to have a vote about something they don't know. It was a very understandable reaction, in my opinion, to uh, what's going on in the, in the UK, which is, you know, the increase in inequality, mm-hmm. um, lack of social mobility. And I think the Brexit vote was a symptom and we need to look at and deal with the causes. And so far, nobody's really done that. They're not, they're not dealing with the causes. Yeah. And I think another thing that's accentuated it is what the German ambassador to London said at the time is the Second World War mentality mm-hmm. of the people who are voting. And I think that's a big factor. You know, yeah. I see that all the time. The number of times I go home and people say, um, oh, uh, you know, the Germans want to dominate Europe. The Germans are manipulating everything. Mm, mm. And I just let the people talk, let them talk. And after about two or three minutes, they've got it all out. And I say to them, how do you know that? You know, who have you spoken to? Oh, it was in the sun. Yeah, you know, yeah. it's all like, okay, you know, just mm. what are you going to do? You know, how are you going to convince them otherwise? It's a bit of a challenge. Yeah. We'll see, we'll see where it goes. Nothing, nothing is clear. Everything's still up in the air. Um, I have a question for you now, which is a question that probably wouldn't have ever occurred to me to ask you before before Brexit. But you you, you describe yourself in your in your um, um, in your bio as as British, and I introduced you as an Englishman. So yeah. for you, is there a distinction between Britishness and Englishness? And if there is, what is it? Um, you know, I think. As five people, you'll get eight answers, if I can put it that way. So this is very personal. For me, I feel British. I, I feel very British. For me, English at the moment is this increase in, you said it before, nativism, uh, nationalism that mm-hmm. that seems to be coming up. I, I might be wrong here, but it seems to be more the south of, south of England, the home counties. Mm-hmm. Um, we, we seem to be ignoring Scotland and Wales and, and Northern Ireland a lot. So it's quite interesting in my answer. I notice I'm saying we, mm-hmm. so I do identify myself at times English, but this, uh, you know, I totally reject this nationalistic. Uh, there's a, there's a difference between confidence, self-confidence in, in your country yeah. and being proud of your country and then it going over into arrogance. Yeah. And I think at the moment it's going over into arrogance, which I don't like. Okay. So now um, maybe changing tack a little, uh, talk about uh, Alesco development. So I understand that it's, uh, it's a business consultancy, provides specialist services to senior managers and the teams who are looking to cope with change in their organizations. Um, can you tell me a little bit about what that, what that looks like uh, when you're working with clients in terms of results? 
um, and maybe one or two examples if if they come to mind. Yeah. Um, so we tend to go into clients when they're implementing change. So they've got a plan, they've got a change management plan, but they need to implement it and put it into practice. And what they're finding is um, the plan is not working. There is some emotions, negative emotions coming up, which need to be dealt with. Um, and we will go in and run a project. It, it depends. It, it could be just advising the senior manager within executive advice. It could be executive coaching. It could be working with the teams that are underneath it or even the business unit. So the projects can last up to 18 months, but it's really about helping people to come to terms with the emotional side of change and realizing that change is both a planned exercise, but it change also emerges um, from the situation in the moment. And to give you an example uh, of how that works, there's a very simple example that I often use with clients the first time. You know, Christmas, everybody eats too much, drinks too much. <laughs> they decide they're going to sign up for the gym in January. Mm-hmm. So they've got their plan. Uh, they want to implement their plan. They're full of great intentions. And then on a wet, windy, wintry <laughs> Wednesday in February, you know, it, it, it all goes to pot. So what you really need are three things. And it's uh, awareness of the change. So that I know what this involves. The second thing is motivation that I I want to change. And the third thing is competence so that I'm able, I've got the skills to be able to do the change. This awareness, motivation and competence, Mm -hmm. that's what you need. And most organizations, they miss the first part, which is the awareness around change. Okay. And the awareness that that it's, necessary you mean they don't they don't see you know you hear some of the corporates talking about a a burning platform to get them to, to <laughs> yeah. is it that type of thing um yeah awareness i think of of themselves awareness of the teams that they work in and the groups that they work in and and what it means to be undertaking undertaking that change mm-hmm. you know if, if i can use a personal example uh, and and this type of thing happens all the time with with my clients but you know, I, I want to protect their confidences to a certain extent. Yeah. Um, around 2012, I decided I, I need a sales coach because my, my view of sales and customer relationships was, you know, it's a bit like Arthur Daly on a, selling secondhand <laughs> cars uh, or a sheepskin coat on a uh, big cigar, yeah. uh, a, a bundle of, you know, 100 pound notes in his hand. Um in other words, if I have that image in my head, what am I thinking? I'm, I'm, I'm thinking in sim- very simple terms, either I win or, or you do, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. well, if, if you have that and it sits quite deeply, you know, it, it's in the subconscious. If it sits quite deeply, you tend to go into situations thinking it's, it's me or you, mm-hmm. either I'm going to win or I'm going to lose here. And I got myself a sales coach and basically she drew this out uh, of me and she said, you know, the way you see the world, why don't you just see it from well, your strengths, which the way I, one of the things I like to do is to help people. I know that's one of my big drivers. Mm-hmm. So go into the uh, customer situations, instead of trying to push anything onto them, ask them, ask them questions. 
understand their situation. Once you've understood their situation, then you can suggest two or three different solutions. And as soon as I started thinking, oh, yeah, by asking questions and helping them, that is more of who I am. Yeah. So she helped me to raise my awareness to who I am, not something that I thought I had to be, i.e. an Arthur Daly type dodgy salesman. Um, She raised my awareness to me as me, which is reaching out, helping people, asking questions, and then giving them some ideas around some solutions. And that's the way we, we bring about change, by raising the awareness within individuals or within groups, within business units. So if it's that ve- makes sense. Yes, it does indeed. And it's very people-oriented uh, from the way you describe that. Now, you know the way these days there's a lot of hype and angst about automation and artificial intelligence. What, mm. what, 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 what's your view of that, where, where it is, where it's going? What are your clients saying about um, th- those developments? Um, I, you know, I think nobody quite knows where it's going and nobody quite knows what effects it'll have. Mm-hmm. It, it's a very open field. What I see very specifically right now is people trying to make decision-making processes more flexible. Mm-hmm. I think with automation, you're going to get people who are at the front end of the organization with access to more information. That means you, you're not going to need as many people supervising to take the decisions for them. You know, so that's going to alter power structures. That's going to alter authority mm-hmm. in the hierarchy. Um, it's going to alter who holds the information. You know, knowledge is power, yeah. and how we work together. And that's what I'm seeing. People, how do we, in this location, say in Germany, work together with um, the corresponding team that's in the states? Yeah, when we only have access to part of the information and they only have access to part of the information, how do we speed up the transfer of information? That's the type of thing I'm seeing. Mm-hmm. Do, you, do you think maybe in a demographically challenged country like Germany, because when you look at Germany's population mm. projections to the future, mm. they're quite depressing. Um, and maybe automation and artificial intelligence is not so much a threat to a country like Germany as much as a, maybe it's saviour in some way. Um, well, I'm going to retire to Ireland. <laughs> <laughs> you liked it so when you I, came here, did you? You, you? you were here just over a week ago. I think you liked it, yeah? Right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, which is, by the way, I must say, when I went back up to the airport, I met a chap. A fellow who'd been at my wedding I haven't seen for about oh, 10 years there you go. <laughs> and he'd and he'd been over for work uh-huh. and he'd, I think he'd just spent the, the day in the pub Friday evening wasn't it so yeah. um, I think there's quite a lot of Germans like Ireland so <laughs> we might be coming there be careful yeah, yeah. um, <laughs> um I, yes, the de- there are a lot of demographic challenges. Obviously, Angela Merkel, uh, I think one of the reasons she let all those immigrants in in 2015, mm-hmm. 2016 was to try and balance that out. Um, I think it's, you raise a very interesting point. You know, will will the automation help um, because of this gap? There's certainly a skills gap. There's a lack of people who can deal with the data analytics side in Germany. And, and I'm hearing that a lot. And I, and I think there's going to be some fundamental changes, you know, heavy dependency on the auto industry. Mm-hmm. Well, cars are going to be computers on wheels. Yeah. So what does that mean for 
companies like Volkswagen and Mercedes uh, and BMW, etc. You know, yeah. so I think a, a lot of people are just blind to what's going to be hitting this country in the next 20 years or so. Mm-hmm. And really in denial, I would say at the moment. Although Germany is 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 a country, if you like, I I found that, that it's more accepting and opening open to um, automation and technology in the sense that um, engineers seem to loom larger than accountants in in Germany, whereas in the English-speaking world in business, the accountants loom far larger than than engineers. And they have always, uh, going back decades, embraced uh, automation technology far earlier than uh, uh, the English-speaking world, I think. Yes, yeah, that's a you know that's a fair point. Um, there's still an emphasis on substance um, over. Can I say this? Pushing money around the money markets in in London or New York. Um, yeah, <laughs> uh, you know it, it's still very much a, a country where people want to to build things, want to invent things. Mm-hmm. You know, there's a, there's a lot of people apply, a lot of companies, you know, filing patents all the time. And in fact, I think if you look at the statistics at the European Patent Office, uh, Germany files by far the most patents. I don't know whether that's true per capita. Obviously, it's a big country. It should be filing a lot. Mm-hmm. But it, it's certainly emphasized on their technology and there is a pride there is a pride in saying i'm an engineer um and less so saying i'm a uh, you know I, i'm a investment banker or something something like that you, you find a lot of managing directors are high-ranking um um corporate room office officers in german mm-hmm. companies are engineers in a way that you, yeah. you don't really find in, in the uk or ireland or, or even the us yeah, I, I, w- I would say that, and I think the the beauty with the with engineers is they they tend to be actually more open to what I was talking about about awareness ar- around change because they t- they tend to have a more holistic view. Mm-hmm. Uh, again, this is generalizing, but I, I find I find it's actually quite easy to talk to them. It's easier to to talk to that type of person because, as I say, they understand, albeit perhaps in a scientific way they understand the idea of pressure and loads and stresses and 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 performance Mm -hmm. and that materials will wear out and it becomes easy for them to transfer that into a human dynamic side they don't have to understand all the psychology behind it but they're they're open to it and that's the most important thing yeah very interesting and do you do do you do most of your business in germany or are you based in germany doing business internationally or it's a mix Um, of both the second based in germany and very much doing it internationally so i would say around 80 percent of my work is across europe 20 percent is outside europe um and within germany uh, sorry, within that 80%, I would say it's about half and half. Mm-hmm. So about half in Germany, half in the rest of Europe. Okay. And your ambitions for the future for the business, where do you plan to take it in the coming years? Um, well, I, I would love, I would absolutely love to work more on what I talked about before or continue working on, you know, working on the implementation of strategy, working on change implementation plans, because a lot of companies a lot of top managers they they need that help they don't have that background they probably don't have experience of major changes and as we've said there are a lot of major changes going on so how do i get people to 
adapt emotionally and intellectually and socially to what's coming up in our business. Um, and that's where I'd like to go with the business, supporting them in those, implementing those change plans. Excellent. And then when you're not working on the business um, mm -hmm. and looking after your family, what else, what else do you like to do in your free time? Well, I try and catch the rugby when it's on. <laughs> yeah, and we have the World Cup coming up this year, don't we? This yes, year. yeah. <laughs> Are we allowed to talk about that? <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I, my idea when I first came to Germany was to convert uh, the Germans to a rugby-playing nation because I think they've got everything they, everything they need. They've got the different sizes, you know, yeah. the little scrum halves, the, the, the tall types, second yeah. rowers, uh, the nippy wingers. They've got all the sizes <laughs> that you need. Um, so... Yeah, I've never not had much success in that. <laughs> that would be that would be good. Um, and so yeah, I, li I like to catch up with the rugby. I I love to get back to the, uh, England or the UK and, and catch up with the family. I, I find myself going across there once every uh, six to eight weeks. Mm -hmm. That's good. And apart from that, I, I must admit I enjoy just being with being with friends. You know, going for dinner and enjoying a good glass of wine. Great. So for listeners then who'd like to learn more about you, more about your business, how they can benefit from working with you, could, could you let us know where and, and how to find you and how to make contact? Yes. Well, first of all, there's my website. So the easiest way to get to it is to type in www.stephen-hunt.com. So that's Stephen with a V and mm -hmm. Hunt is H-U-N-T. Uh, alternatively, you can connect up with me on LinkedIn. Uh, you'll find my profile on there if you just put in Stephen Hunt and, and Germany, mm -hmm. you'll find it. And, you know, if anybody's got any questions or they they just want to ask a quick question, feel free to contact me through one of those means and I'll get back to them. That's great, Stephen. Thank you very, very much. It's been an absolute pleasure, as always, to, to speak to you and uh, look forward to speaking to you again in the, in the near future. Lovely. Thank you, Patrick. It was great. Bye-bye, Stephen. Thank you. Bye-bye. That's it for today. Thanks for listening to Interlinks presented by me, Patrick Daly, Supply Chain Consultant. You can contact me at albalogistics.com.